The other day, for whatever reason, I, I happened to look up on my wall and I saw that license to ministry that hangs there on, in my study. I hadn't looked at it in a long, long time. And, and I looked at it and I noticed that I was licensed to ministry on May the 14th, 1978. And so I stood there for a minute and tried to do the math. And if I figured it out right, that means I've been preaching for 43 years. And I stood there and I literally said to myself, you ought to be better at this if you've been doing it that long. Now the reason I tell you that this past May was my 43rd year in preaching is because, by the way, some of you are trying to figure, well, how old is he? Well, I started when I was 18 and I'm 61, so I think that's 43 years. The reason I tell you that, in 43 years of preaching... I've, as far as I can tell from my records, I have never preached and I have never taught from the passage we're going to look at today. 43 years, I've never preached this passage. I've never taught this passage. It is a difficult passage that we're going to be looking at today. But it is packed with a powerful message. You know, we've been in this series on, on miracles today. We come to the last message in the series and I recognize that some of you here today, you're, you're trusting God right now for a miracle. You're, you're in desperate need of a miracle. You're praying for a miracle. You're desperate for a miracle. And what we've said throughout this series is that God wants to do that which cannot be explained apart from Him. That, that really is a miracle when you can look at something and say, God did it. And I said throughout this series, God hasn't stopped being God. So miracles are still possible even in our day. So in this last message, I want to, to try to take you to a few cities. In your mind, I want you to travel with me to a few places in Israel. And I want you to think of how amazing it would have been to actually watch a miracle. Imagine being near Jesus. Imagine standing in the crowd... And watching Jesus do the impossible. Imagine what it must have been like to stand there there that day and watch Jesus literally turn ordinary water into wine. Or imagine watching him cleanse a man with leprosy. You see the disfiguration of his skin, the ulcers on his skin, the deformity of his hands. And all of a sudden, his skin and his hands and everything are clean and well. And you stood there and you watched it happen right before your very eyes. Or imagine this. Imagine standing there and watching Lazarus walk out of his grave. It would have been remarkable To watch Jesus do the impossible. I believe we would stand back and be stunned again and again as we watched him do things that only God could do. It would, and I thought about it this week, it's like, man, faith would be so easy then, wouldn't it? Faith would be so easy if if you stood there and you watched Jesus do the impossible. If you stood there and you watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle, man, faith would be so easy if we'd been eyewitnesses to the miracles of Jesus. Now, here's an incredible fact. I discovered this this week as I was reading the text. Here's an incredible fact. Most of the miracles that Jesus did, he did in three cities. And not one of those is Jerusalem. 
Now, he did do miracles in Jerusalem, and he did do miracles in other places other than the cities I'm going to mention. Certainly, he performed miracles in other places. But there were three towns in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee who had the privilege of seeing and being the recipient of most of Jesus' miracles. Those three towns are Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. All three towns are located on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Two of those towns are located on the edge of the waters, and the third one is kind of a mile and a half, two miles inland. And so they basically form a triangle there at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. You might call it the miraculous triangle, because in those three places, at Capernaum, at Chorazin, and at Bethsaida, in those three places, that's where Jesus spent most of his time, and that's where Jesus performed most of his miracles. Now let me tell you about those three places very quickly. Chorazin was about two and a half miles north of Capernaum, and it's only mentioned twice in the Bible. We really don't know a whole lot about it. What's interesting is, we'll see in a moment, that it was one of the places where Jesus did most of his miracles, though the Bible doesn't tell us what those miracles were. Which is interesting, it kind of affirms what John said at the end of his gospel when he said, listen, I'm not trying to write about all the miracles that Jesus did, and if I tried to write about all the miracles Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the world to contain it. So Jesus did a lot of things that are not recorded in Scripture. He performed a lot of miracles that are not recorded in Scripture. Chorazin is an example of that. Only mentioned two times in the Bible, and we really don't know when he went there and what he did there. So, so that's Chorazin. Now the other place, Bethsaida, we know a lot more about Bethsaida because Bethsaida was the birthplace of three of the apostles. Peter, Andrew, and Philip were all born in Bethsaida. It's possible that James and John were born there as well, but we're not sure. Now, Bethsaida is mentioned a lot in the New Testament. In fact, it's mentioned more than any other city except Jerusalem and Capernaum. So it's mentioned a lot, and Jesus did a lot of miracles in Bethsaida. One example of that would be the feeding of the 5,000. It was either in Bethsaida or right outside Bethsaida where where Jesus performed the miracle of feeding 5,000 plus people. Imagine what that would have been like to stand there and be part of that and see all of that occur. So that was Bethsaida. Now Capernaum. Capernaum is the place we know the most about because Jesus spent most of his time there during his earthly ministry. Capernaum is one of my favorite places to go to in Israel because you can walk around the ruins of Capernaum and know that you're walking around the ruins where Jesus once walked and where Jesus once lived. See, it was Capernaum where Jesus kind of relocated. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. But after he became uh, a minister, after he went into ministry, full-time ministry, he moved from Nazareth, his hometown, to Capernaum, and that became his headquarters. Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, you could stand in Capernaum, and if you have a good arm, you could probably almost throw a rock into the Sea of Galilee. That's how close it is. It's a beautiful area, and Jesus loved to go to Capernaum, and I love to go there as well for that very reason. Now, Capernaum, let me say it one more time. Most of the miracles that Jesus did we're in Capernaum, at least as far as what we have record of. We have more record of Jesus doing miracles in Capernaum than any other place. Let me give you an example of one of those. Remember the famous story of the four men who carried their friend to Jesus, they tore a hole in the roof and let him down? That was in Capernaum. One of many miracles that Jesus performed there. Now, here's my point. You would expect 
that in Chorazin and in Bethsaida and in Capernaum, that most of the people there were followers of Jesus. That would make sense, would it not? He spent most of his time there, did most of his miracles there. Then you would expect that in Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum, most of the people there were probably followers of Jesus. But would it surprise you to find out that the three towns where Jesus did most of his miracles were the very places that failed to put their faith in Christ? Let that sink in for a moment. The place where he, the places, the three places where he spent most of his time, where he did most of his miracles, were actually the three places that rejected him. Now I know that sounds strange, but it, it's right here in Scripture. Open your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter eleven, and I'll show you this. Matthew chapter eleven. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read just one verse for, and, and sit on that one for a while, then we'll read some other verses. But in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, I want you to notice what it says. Then Jesus began to denounce. Notice that word denounce. You might want to underline that, highlight it, mark it in some way. It is a very negative word. It is a word of judgment. It is a word of condemnation. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Why in the world would he denounce these cities in which most of his miracles had been performed? And the verse tells us, because they did not repent. Don't miss that. Because they did not repent. Now the word repentance means a complete change of mind that leads to a complete change in your life. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write that down. It's a complete change of mind that leads to a complete change in your life. Repentance involves forsaking your sin and turning away from your sin. Think of a U-turn. You're going in one direction. You, this is your sin that you're living in. You're turning away from your sin and you're turning to God in faith. So you're turning away from the life you've lived and you're turning to God or sometimes returning to God. But repentance is a change of mind. I want to turn away from this. Also, a change in the way that you live your life. You're now turning towards God and living for Him. So understand what repentance is. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for sin. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. It's a change of mind as well as a change in the way you live your life. Now here's what happened. The people in those three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, the people in those three cities marveled at the miracles that Jesus performed, and some of them even benefited from the miracles. That is, they were recipients of the miracles, but the miracles did not cause them to repent and place their faith in Christ. They may have gone back home excited after they saw a miracle, or they may have gone back home physically healed from a miracle that Jesus performed for them, but most of them went back home still spiritually dead. So with that in mind, with that as kind of our foundation, I want to give you two principles today about responding to the miraculous. How do you respond to the miraculous? Here's the first point. Number one, miracles are intended to turn your heart to God. When Jesus performed miracles, the aim was always more than just the miracle. Whenever Jesus performed a miracle, 
it was always more than just that particular miracle. You remember in John's Gospel when we started this series, we were in John chapter 2, verse 11, and it talks about the first miracle that Jesus performed. And John referred to it not as a miracle, but as a miraculous sign. It was John's way of saying, let me emphasize the significance of this miracle, because there's always more involved than just the miracle itself. Uh, let me explain it to you this way. Uh, let's think about how many of you, pre-COVID, emphasize pre-COVID, how many of you have gone to Sam's and remember pre-COVID when you go to Sam's, there's a lady there with a skillet or a frying pan or something, and she's cooking up little things and she's cutting it up and putting it on a toothpick and you say, honey, let's go out on a date tonight, I'm going to take you out to eat, we're going to Sam's. And you walk through Sam's and, and, you know, hey, would you like one of these? Have you gotten one of these? How many of you have eaten something at Sam's from a toothpick? Almost all of us. All right. Bunch of freeloaders. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, right? You know that their goal is not to feed you. They've got a bigger goal than that. Their goal is to give you a taste so that you will want more. Jesus did much the same thing with his miracles. His goal was not just the miracle. For example, the feeding of the 5,000. His goal was to give them a taste so that they could see all that he could do and want more. Jesus used miracles for five basic purposes. And here's what they are. Jesus used miracles, number one, to reveal his identity. How do you tell people who you are, the Son of God? How do you make that known? Sometimes Jesus did that through miracles. Number two, to authenticate his message. You know that his word is true because if anybody can raise the dead or if anybody can heal a man of leprosy or anybody can heal a blind man, then what he says must be true. So he used miracles to authenticate his message. Number three, to demonstrate his power. It didn't take long to see that he's doing something only God could do. He demonstrated his power through miracles. Number four, of course, to meet needs. There were suffering people. There were hurting people. There were needy people. So one of the reasons that he did miracles was to meet the needs of people. But number five, make sure you get number five. Most of all, Jesus used miracles to bring people to repentance. You see, human betterment was not the primary goal. I want to say that again. Human betterment, trying to improve your situation physically. Human betterment was not the primary goal. I mean, think about it. Enabling a crippled man to walk again would be amazing. But if he still went home spiritually dead and destined for hell, have you really helped him that much? If you've strengthened his legs so that he can finally walk again, but he's still spiritually dead inside, he's still destined for hell, have you really changed that much? In his life. So notice in verse 20 that Jesus denounces these cities not because they sinned. He did not denounce them for their sin. He denounced them because they did not repent of their sin. We know from the Gospels that crowds of people followed Jesus. When you read the Gospels, there were hundreds and sometimes thousands of people, literally thousands of people who would follow Jesus, fascinated by his miracles. But Jesus was not looking for amazement or admiration. He was looking for repentance. In fact, the very first word that Jesus uttered as he began his earthly ministry, Matthew records the very first word that Jesus uttered as he began his ministry. It's in Matthew 4. Go over there for a moment. 
as Jesus begins his public ministry, notice the word he uses to begin that ministry. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. And the first word is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was the primary goal. That was the reason Jesus performed miracles. Jesus was bringing people to a point of repentance. But what we read in Matthew chapter 11 verses 20 through 24 is that most of the people in Bethsaida and most of the people in Chorazin and most of the people in Capernaum were just there for the show or just there to see if Jesus could help them in their difficult situation. You see, basically, here's the deal. Watch this. We value the miracles, but Jesus values repentance. We want the miracle, but Jesus values repentance. And here's why. It's because Jesus wants to have a relationship with you, not just do things for you. Too often, we just want Jesus to do things for us. God, can you fix my marriage? God, can you fix my finances? God, can you make me healthy again? And there's nothing wrong with asking Him to do those things, but too often that's all we're focused on. God, will you do something for me? When Jesus is more focused on, I want to have a relationship with you. And so in Chorazin and and in uh, Bethsaida and in Capernaum, they watched Jesus do miraculous things. And that's all they were focused on. Focused on the show. And focused on asking him to do something for them. And he denounced those cities because they did not repent. Now, let's talk about that word repent because it's such an important word. That word repent means more than just feeling sorry for your sin. It, 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 it even means more than asking God to forgive you of your sin. The word repentance has the idea of Yes, feeling sorry for your sin. Yes, asking God to forgive you of your sin. But more than that, the word repentance has the idea of a change of mind that leads to a change in the direction of your life. You change your mind about God. You change your mind about Jesus. You change your mind about your own sin. There is a change of mind, yes. But it leads to a change in the direction that you live your life. Let me illustrate it this way. What if one day this week you become convinced that you should no longer drink Pepsi? And let's say that you decided, you changed your mind. I'm no longer going to drink this stuff. I don't need, I was looking at the bottle yesterday, 58 grams of sugar. What if this week you decided, I don't need 58 grams of sugar two or three times a day. And I don't need all of this caffeine. So I'm going to stop drinking Pepsi. You changed your mind. I don't need this. I'm going to stop drinking Pepsi. And in fact, you go to your wife and confess it. Honey, I'm going to stop drinking Pepsi. And then the next day, you have to go to QT to get gas. And the first thing you do is go over there and get a 42-ounce foam cup, put crushed ice in it, and fill it with Pepsi. Now, my question is this. Have you repented? No, Donna said. No. No, you have not repented. You had a change of mind, but it did not lead to a change in the way you live your life. Your actions demonstrate there really was no real repentance. 
Biblical repentance is when I completely change my mind about God. I completely change my mind about Jesus. I completely change my mind about my own sin. And I ask God to help me to change the way I live my life. Today some of you might need to do that very thing. But you need to understand that the good things that God does in your life, the miracles that God does around you, is not just for your benefit, but it is to lead you to repentance. Let me show you this in Scripture. Again, put your finger there in Matthew. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. I think I've got the right verse here. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We're picking it up in the middle of the paragraph, but here's what what Paul wrote. He says in verse 4, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing, watch this, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. God's kindness leads you towards repentance. That was the reason for the miracles. It was God's kindness doing what only God could do to meet the need of, his, of, of the people. And God's kindness was intended to lead them to repentance. And here's what Jesus said about those three places. Verse 20, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of His miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Now, I come to the second point, which is a harder point to make. It is, it is a hard lesson found in verses 21 through 24. And here's the second point. There is a judgment day ahead for all of us. There is a judgment day for every person here today. There is a judgment day ahead. Jesus speaks about this beginning in verse 21. Look what he says. And he's speaking to these three cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. There's that word woe. That that word is such an important word. It is a word of heartbreak. It is a word of warning. It is a word of judgment. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. We talked about Tyre and Sidon last week, didn't we? It's in the northern part beyond the borders of Israel in what is now current day Lebanon. It was on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. In the Old Testament days, Tyre and Sidon were known for their pagan idolatry. They were known for their bell worship. They were known for their wickedness. And in fact, God judged them in those days in incredible ways. They were pagan people with a capital P. And God judged them. He sent and, and abolished them in the Old Testament days. And Jesus said, Listen, Tyre, or, or listen, Chorazin, listen, Bethsaida. If Tyre and Sidon had had the opportunities that you have, they would have repented long ago. He's talking about the Gentile nation north of Israel. He's talking about the pagan people north of Israel. He said, if they had the opportunities you've had, they would have repented long ago. And then he really drops the hammer on Capernaum. Look what he says. And you, verse 23, and you Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths, to Hades, to hell. If the miracles that were performed in you 
had been performed in Sodom, that is, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have remained to this day. In other words, that city would still be standing. I want you to think about that. The pagan city that Jesus mentions here is the city of Sodom. Sodom, if you remember the Old Testament, was one of the absolute worst cities in the entire world. In fact, Sodom was the proverbial city of sin. In fact, if you remember the story, there were not even ten righteous people in Sodom. They tried to find. If we can find ten righteous people, will you spare the city? He said, if you can find ten righteous people, I'll spare the city. And they couldn't even find ten righteous people in the city of Sodom. And God literally destroyed that Old Testament city because they were the epitome of sin itself. And God destroyed them. I mean, was there ever a city worse than Sodom? Jesus would say yes. It's Capernaum. Why? Because Capernaum witnessed more miracles than any other place. And they still rejected Jesus. Capernaum saw Jesus do more than anybody else. And they still failed to repent of their sin. I want you to notice that great privilege equals great responsibility. If the miracles that had been done in you, Chorazin, if the miracles that had been done in you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that had been done in you, Capernaum, were done in these other pagan cities, they would have repented. And because you have not repented, Jesus speaks about a day of judgment. I want you to look at verse 22 and verse 24. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Translation. The people who, who lived in pagan Tyre and Sidon, when it comes to judgment day, will have it easier than the people who lived Chorazin and Bethsaida. If that's not enough to shock you, look at verse 24. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the dead judgment than for you, Capernaum. Translation, the people who lived in Old Testament Sodom and Gomorrah and the city was so wicked and vile that God absolutely obliterated the city. The people who lived there are going to have it easier on the dead judgment than the people who lived in Capernaum. Now, here's what all of that means. There is indeed a judgment day for all of us. If you trust to Christ as Savior, that judgment day will be much different if you, than having not trusted Christ as Savior. If, if you're not a believer, if you're not trusted Christ as Savior, you'll be judged according to your works. If you are a believer, you have trusted Christ as Savior, you'll be judged according to His works. I don't know about you, I'd, be, I'd rather be judged according to His rather than mine. Let me ask you to go with me to Hebrews for a moment. Let me explain this to you by looking at the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 27 and 28. Look what he says, verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once. Now, none of us here today would debate that. 
we understand that everybody is destined to die once. We, we all get that. Just as man is destined to die once. And after that, to do what? Face judgment. We're all destined to die once and we're all destined to face judgment. Verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, that is not to die on the cross again and bear our sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him or for those who are trusting in him, those who have repented of their sin. You see, judgment day is coming for all of us when we will be called to give an account of our lives. And as Jesus explains that day, it appears in verse 22 and verse 24 that there will be different degrees of punishment on the day of judgment for those who have rejected Jesus. Not all punishment will be the same. It will all be terrible, but it will not be equally terrible. The words of Jesus said, listen, it will be more bearable for Sodom at the day of judgment than it will be for the people of Capernaum. You see, the more, here, here, get this, the more knowledge that you have, the more accountable you are. The more opportunities you have, the more accountable you are. The people of Capernaum never persecuted Jesus. They never mocked Him. They never ridiculed Him. They never threatened His life. They never tried to run Him out of town. The people of Capernaum never did any of those things. Yet Jesus said their sin is worse than if they had done those things. Because watch this. Their sin was not the sin of immorality. Their sin was the sin of indifference. They were there for the show. They were there to see what Jesus could do for them. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand, I didn't do the miracle to impress you. I did the miracle so that you would repent. Because I, want, I don't want to just do things for you. I want to have a relationship with you. I wonder if Jesus were to address us today if he would not say something like this woe to you who live in Powdersville and who live in Easley and who live in Wren the things done in your community had been done in China they would have repented by now if the opportunities that you have had that they had in Russia they would have repented by now Jesus is not a Facebook page that you simply like and move on. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you where you, have, you repent of your sin. You turn away from your sin and you turn to God in full surrender. You know what I found? I told you I've been preaching a long time. You know what I found in all those years? I have found this. We want God to change our lives. We just don't want Him to control them. We want the miracle. We just don't want the master. We want to see Jesus do something special. We just don't want to surrender. And Jesus said to the three places where he spent most of his time, the three places where he did most of his miracle. Matthew says that Jesus denounced those very places. Calls. 
They did not repent. We all face a day of judgment. As surely as you die, you will also face a day of judgment. And my plea to you is repent while you can. Absolutely change of mind, but also a change in the way you live your life. Lord Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but would you change my life so that I can live for you? That's really what salvation is. Salvation is declaring, I can't, but you can. I'm not nearly as good as I need to be. Lord Jesus, would you live in me? And, I, and, and I've been walking in this direction, and now I'm turning away from that life of sin. And by faith, I'm turning to trust in God. I'm turning to trust that Christ died in my place for my sin. And I am repenting. I'm walking away from this. I am repenting. And I am walking towards Him by faith. And it's not just, I'm sorry, a change of mind. It is a change in the way I live my life. Repent. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. I want to give you that opportunity. So many times people are willing to turn to Jesus in need, but they're not willing to turn to Jesus in repentance. Oh, but God, would you work in our midst today? God, would you work on our hearts today so that we would recognize that you want a relationship with us? You want to do so much more than just do things for us? God, would you show us in a very powerful way if we need to repent? And I pray for anyone here today and they've never trusted you as Savior. I pray that today would be the day they repent. Change in their mind about God and about Jesus and about their sin and turning to Christ alone by faith. Walking with Him. And Lord, I know that there might be some who are believers, they're Christians, they're followers, but here lately they've gotten away from that relationship and they too might need to repent, to return to their first love. Thank you for the things you've done in our midst. Thank you for the opportunities that you have given us. Thank you for the miracles that are all around us, but may they turn our hearts Towards you, O oh Father. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.